This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Standing by for Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts, the latest, available at sportsnet.ca. The podcast available, uh, we're going to record it later on tonight, should be available as normal um, Friday morning. Uh, had a really interesting conversation yesterday, Elliot and I did, with uh, with Todd McClellan, head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, tonight it is Los Angeles and Toronto, one of only a handful of games on the schedule around the NHL. A couple of things from last night as well. Um, who on their bingo card had Clem Coston with the Gordie Howe, or for the hipsters in the audience, Harry Cameron, hat trick? But there it was. Like yesterday, it was one of those nights where it's like completely pad the stats. Like Arizona's on a real long, arduous road trip right now. We know that. And so it's tough. And last night, whether it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins with three points, McDavid with two and two, Leon Dreisaitl, you know, firing backhand passes like he's Mario Lemieux, just slicing and dicing teams. Yesterday was pad the stats night for the Edmonton Oilers. And again, I don't know anyone who would have had Clem Coston with the Gordie Howe hat trick to say nothing of Clem Coston dropping Zach Cassian in that, let's just call it a skirmish. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, he is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. He joins me now. Hello, Fridge. You know, I have to say, I was listening to uh, from about 12.20 on, 12.20 Eastern on, and yes. uh, I heard yes. you nerding out over third lines with uh, Michael Ross, <laughs> and yeah. I, I didn't know whether to be more impressed with your passion because I think passion for a topic is an underrated, extremely <laughs> underrated strength for a broadcaster, yeah. and your passion came across, or just uh, get thanks. my ogre from Revenge <laughs> of the Nerds uh, gift going it was it was great stuff i have to tell you you know but but you know where that came from so we started the conversation by talking about the the boston third line and for whatever reason it specifically charlie coyle and taylor hall but you do have to throw trent frederick into that conversation too like coyle and hall together i mean that's hand to glove like they're mar and when you have the and I know the the hue and cry about oh he makes too much to be a third liner who cares like it's it's yeah, working it and matter. it's clicking you got but you got Patrice Bergeron on on a super value contract it's okay if you're paying a little bit more for your third line and then I'm watching that Calgary Flames game last night and Blake Coleman is awesome and Adam Rizicka is awesome again and uh, Michael Backlund continues to be one of the more underrated players in the entire NHL and I'm like. Ooh, who's got a better third line? And then I think about Carolina, and you get Stahl and, and Martinook and Fast, and I'm like, you know what? Mike Rupp's probably the right guy to talk to about third lines with some authority. But while I've got you, let, let me let me start there. What do you make of Calgary right now and Dan Vladar and that third line and Adam Rzichka? And I want to get to Phillips here in a second, but Blake Coleman, like with again another outstanding performance for the Flames last night. Well, I just think Blake Coleman's a really good player. And, uh, you know, I heard you promo Todd McClellan. You know, what's one of the things that Todd McClellan talked about? It's the change in the in the fourth line in the third defensive pair, yeah. right? That the way yep. that they used to play the game, it's over now, and you, you can't do that anymore. And I just think now you've got to be deep and you've got to be skilled. And, uh, again, the game does change a lot in the playoffs, but in the regular season you need that. And right now I just think they've got – like 
I, I don't think you can win in this league anymore. And even, never mind win in the league, I don't even think you can compete in the league anymore unless you're deep, unless every line is on some yeah. level a threat offensively. And, uh, and and we're seeing it. We're, we're, we're seeing it right now. But I'm not surprised at Coleman at all. I just think he's a hell of a player. And that goal still should have counted last year in the playoffs. I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. And I think, you know, interesting, as we're talking about third lines here, too, correct me if I'm wrong, Feeds, I think, you know, when Calgary got Blake Coleman, I think the team they had to... You know, to use a sort of a game metaphor, the team they had to beat to get them in free agency were the Boston Bruins. And I'm pretty sure Boston may have been the only... There are a number of suitors for Coleman. I think Boston may have been the other main one, Fridge. Does that that rattle around your brain somewhere? That that one doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Like, I just... I don't remember that one off the top of my head. Um, Okay, Last time we talked about the Calgary Flames, we talked about... Well, first of all, you have a thought on Adam Rzichka? Because I want to get to Matthew Phillips and, and growing your own here, but, like, Adam Rzichka has become a real impactful player for the Calgary Flames. Well, I, I think what's happened, Jeff, is that um, I think Calgary is in a position where... Like, I'm looking at Rzichka, and, I, and I'm really happy for him. I think they were slow. I think they were really slow to give him... Uh, an opportunity that I thought he deserved. And I, and yep. now, and, and we talked earlier this week about Phillips, and, you know, you saw yeah. uh, Daryl Sutter's quotes about it, and you're like, okay, well, that's not happening because you're not going to bring up a kid that, uh, you know, the coach isn't necessarily going to want. And now look what's happening. Phillips is here. And to be honest, Jeff, I'm not convinced this is over. I, I think there could be... I think there's another young player too, whether it's Pelche or someone else. I think they're thinking about yeah. it. And uh, no, so Pelche is another first rounder. Yeah, and he's and he's like I haven't seen him, but I've heard he's played pretty well. And I wouldn't be surprised if whether it's him or another young player is going to get an opportunity in Calgary pretty soon. So I think that even though they yeah. seem to have kind of righted themselves. And they're having a better yeah. week. It says to me that they're starting to take a bit more of a long-term view about this. You know, once upon a time, it was just sort of the hardcores that knew about Matthew Phillips. Do you find now, though, that it's starting bleeding into sort of casual Calgary Flames fans who are, you know, having a glance at the American Hockey League and saying, hey, our guy's on top of the, the leaderboard for scoring. Uh, why don't we have a peek under the hood here? Well, I think there's a subsection of the Flames fan base that's been screaming about this for a little bit of time. Like, yes. this is the thing about yes. having your American Hockey League team where you are, right? There's a good thing and there's yep. a bad thing to that. And the good thing is is that it's convenient. If something goes wrong, you have your players nearby. The bad thing is, and the bad thing is that Everything that they do, good or bad, becomes magnified. Like when you have your American Hockey League team like Toronto did in Newfoundland or uh, Calgary did in, in Stockton, you know, the, the, the players are kind of away. They, they can learn away from yep. that magnifying glass. But when they're there, like I always find this, every player who plays in a Canadian city, it goes one way or the other. Either they're good talents – 
the, the good things they do are magnified or the bad things that they do are magnified. Like there's almost no in-between, Jeff. It's either really good or yeah. really bad. And happily for Phillips, it's been good. So there have been a certain segment of the fans that have clam- And you know what? They're clamoring for him. And you know what, Jeff? There should be a mechanism where if you do what he's doing, you get rewarded somehow. You get the taste. And I'm happy to yeah. see that he's going to get it. Um, okay. Now, I'm going to do this just because I think you might just say, well, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to wreck a great night? So, Tage I've been Thompson listening. I know, I, I've been listening. I know what you're up <laughs> okay. to. Okay. Okay, so you know where I'm going here. How do you yeah, not like, give him more than three minutes and 55 seconds in the... He's chasing Joe Malone. 1920, Elliot. Like, put the put the guy on in the in the history books. You're like, and now, I have in my head... I, I think it was in the in the third period when Ian Turnbull was chasing the most goals by a defenseman. I think they skated him a few shifts at the wing as well, just to to try to get him, try to get a defenseman that that record. Um, Daryl Sittler, 76 against the Boston Bruins when he had the six and four, six goals and four assists on Dave Reese. You know they didn't take the foot off the gas at all. You know Jerry Cheever's at the end of the bench with a towel over his head, saying, "Hey Grapes, don't put me in here. This is all going to be Reese's," and that was Reese's last game ever in the NHL never to be seen or heard from again. I understand like I understand not putting your first unit power play out there when you're up 8 to 1 in the third, but when you're chasing history, if you're Granado, do you not say, "Look, I understand we don't want to embarrass the other team more than they're already embarrassed, but we got a guy here that's chasing the history books and he's got five goals and if he scores two more, he ties it." And his name then becomes synonymous with one record from Joe Malone. How do you not do that? Okay, so first of all, I'll try to give you a, a reference that people out of old folks' homes can understand, unlike what you just did. Uh, a couple of years ago, Connor <laughs> McDavid had six points after two periods in a game against Colorado. Edmonton was up 6-2, yep. and he had six points. And he played, I think, four minutes in the third period, didn't get anything. So that was the first thing I thought of last night, was that night with McDavid where he didn't play was six points through two. I look, I look at it this way. First of all, I checked. There were no power plays in the second and third period for Buffalo. So it wasn't like they didn't put them on the power play. They didn't have any. At which, And if there had been, Jeff, I think that really would have been the interesting one. Would they have put him out there on the power play? But we never got a chance to find out. The other thing, Jeff, about that game last night is that was a TNT game. Now, I bet, yep. I bet that people were sitting there going, uh-oh, we got Buffalo Columbus on TNT tonight. And they got handed this gift because it was exciting, at least for Buffalo. Yep. If it was me, I don't think I'd want to do it. Okay, I like if it was me, I would have said no. I, I don't. I don't need that. But the more we interview Steve Meyer, the more I start to think like Steve Meyer. Now I don't know that that's a good thing, but I think like him. And there is a segment of me <laughs> that says you need to sell that. Yeah. 
I think one of the best things that could have happened last night was for a hundred year record to topple on TNT by the Buffalo Sabres, a market that always needs a good headline. It's a team that's rebuilding. You have this specimen, you know, this, this freak of nature in the middle who, you know, over the course of the last couple of couple of weeks have put up has put up some really big numbers and drawn himself into the the goal scoring race and the, the points race in the NHL. And he has a chance to smash a, uh, a century plus old record. I th- honestly, I think you owe it to A, the game of hockey, B, to TNT, and C, to Tage Thompson. To do it, kid, we're giving you it. We're going to give you every chance to break this record. Like every second shift, you're going out there. We are just going to feed you the puck all period long. And if people complain about it, so be it. If the Columbus Blue Jackets are upset about it, it's in their building. If Brad Larson doesn't like it, Yarmo Kekalane and John Davidson don't like it, so be it. We got a guy chasing history here. And it would be one of the biggest stories of the season. Thompson topples a 100-year record. That's where I'm at. You know, Jeff, I have to say that, again, I wouldn't want it for myself, but I understand what it means for the game. I, I remember, like, there are other leagues where this would happen for sure. Like, in the NFL, I remember a game. It was a Packer kicker. We had a chance to tie the record for most field goals in the game. I think they were playing the Cowboys. And it was 18-6, to six, and right at the end of the game, the game was over. I think it was it could have been the last play, but it was close. And the Packers let the guy kick it to tie the record at seven. And people were going bananas. I was like, I get it. You know, like... Um, I think in like in the NBA, I think it would have happened for sure. That's the way that league is wired. You go for it. Um, you know, the NHL is definitely wired differently. It tries to be like the the non-selfish league in terms of those kinds of things. Like I said, I re- I remember that night, McDavid playing. I think four minutes in the taking four shifts in the third period of a game they were up four goals and he had six points. But again, I, I think I think fans love that stuff, and I think we have to love step it. out of our. I, I gotta tell you, like it, it seems weird for me to criticize it. Like the guy had four goals and they won nine to. The guy, sorry, five goals and they won nine to four. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but you know, I get it. Like, I get it. I, I, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know if it's Steve Meyer's fault or it's your fault. But I, I'm getting corrupted, and I'm starting to think like this. Yes, come over to the dark side, Elliot. All right, um, Vancouver Canucks and uh, the San Jose Sharks. First of all, just visually with the uniforms, was that not the best-looking game we've seen all season with the, uh, with, with the retros for both, the Johnny Canuck and the, uh, the California Golden Seals for the San Jose Sharks? Just optically, Elliot, did that not look visually like the best game of the season i loved it amber says he doesn't like the the, the sharks ones i think he's not what? And the Canucks ones are beautiful uh, he's yeah. a- amber a- amber if you're listening right now dude you're reading space cake because those things are gorgeous 
those things are those things are beautiful. Absolutely, they're beautiful. I think Amber eats spades cake five times a week. <laughs> well, what did you? What, so the, the the couple of headlines coming out of this one, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are now at 500. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks win uh, another overtime game, albeit. I know they're not beating the Boston Bruins and, you know, they're not beating, you know, the top teams around the NHL in overtime here. I know it's, you know, Arizona, Montreal, and, and San Jose, but nonetheless, um, they've won these games. And one of the big headlines coming out of it, Elias Pettersson, who's playing some of his best hockey of his career, with the overtime heroics, and JT Miller doesn't get off the bench in the extra frame. Your thoughts on all of this? Well, first of all, someone sent me a note this morning saying that Bruce Boudreaux's first 82 games as coach of the Vancouver Canucks, they had 97 points. Okay? So that was what Nashville had last year to make the playoffs. And I kind of laughed and I said, you know, you'd think with all the drama going on out there that they would have had like 12 points in 82 games. It's, <laughs> it's actually yeah. really something. Like they've done, they've done very well points-wise under him, and, and which is yeah. you know quite the story considering everything else. You know the, the Miller thing. I'm curious to see is that a one-game thing or is that a harbinger of patterns to come? I uh, I don't like to overreact to one game. I I'd like to see what where this is going and what that means. I mean, Patterson is having a great year. And, you know, we're all talking about Vancouver's cap situation and where this is all going to go. Well, suddenly, looming very large is the fact that he's on a three-year deal and he's already done one of them. So, I mean, it's – I mean, he's – he looks great. He he really – he really looks great. I mean, you know, I have to tell you something. I watched this Canuck team. You know, Mikheyev's got good numbers. Uh, Kuzmenko's got good numbers. Um, they've got a lot of talent there. I, I, I can't figure it out. I, I, I really can't. But the, and the other thing, too, is, Jeff, is they got Minnesota on Saturday. Last week, they got yep. into the race, and they were awful against Florida and Washington. And now this week, they're, as you said, they're winning games again. Can they put something together? Like, can they be consistent? Um, you know, that's kind of what I think of. I mean, uh, you know, you can uh, people can say, look, they they need, they beat Arizona, they beat San Jose, and that's fine. But you, you, all you can do is beat the teams on your schedule, and that's what they've done. And now they've got to beat. You know, it's it's a big game Saturday. Like they're like you have to build. They're their own worst enemies. They build momentum. And they kind of shoot themselves yeah. in the foot. They've got to win a game, a big one on Saturday. So who wins this tug of war then? Which tug of war? The group in, well, the tug of war, which is, are we getting rid of Besser and Luke Shen? Or is it, no, you know what? This team is, this team is good enough to do something because you know that there's those internal conversations that, that and, and this goes like right from the owner all the way down uh, to the head coach. Are we good enough? If so, how good, what does this mean for the long-term short-term future? Like it, it seems to me like of all the teams in the NHL, as far as, you know, internal struggle and decision on where we're going with this thing, 
there's ammunition on both sides. Like, there's enough, to your point, there's enough to look at this team and say, look at all these elite players we have. We are better yeah. than this. And then there's a conversation which is, no, you know what? It's the wrong mix. The timelines are all mixed up. We need to try to, you know, scrub what's not working and, and take, you know, regroup and take another swing at this thing. I don't know which one's going to win. I have no idea which uh, one think, is going to win this fight. I think that the contract situation will make it so that it's option B. Like, I, I just think that they're in a situation where um, they're going to have to uh, – they're going to have to change their mix to create some cap flexibility. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's going to be B. Um, I, you know, I, personally, I think even though Bester's played a little bit better lately, I think there's a, a recognition from everyone involved, including himself, that a, a fresh start's better for him. Um, and we'll see what, like, I just think, uh, like, like, I just wonder if you mentioned Shan, like, I wonder if the best thing to happen would be if he wants to stay and they want him back, is they trade him and they bring him back. Um, you, you'll be able to get something for him, I think. You know, the other thing, too, is Vancouver moved a, a, Vancouver moved a draft pick to unload Jason Dickinson's deal. Like, one of these guys, I think, is going to be able to get you a chance to, at, at the very least, replace that draft pick. And, and I think that's something that they've kind of looked at too uh okay so a few things on board tonight you mentioned well i mentioned and you amplified and discussed a little bit more our conversation with todd mccullen yesterday it's a los angeles kings facing off against the maple leafs uh later on tonight there's a couple of intriguing games on the uh on the board this evening uh senators stars blues and jets um what do you make of this we've talked plenty about the maple leafs this week and uh, here they go again. What do you make of this Los Angeles team and some of the decisions that are on the horizon, whether it's how they're going to sort out, you know, how they're going to sort out the the defense and how Brant Clark has been loaned to the World Junior team, you know, what happens with Quentin Byfield and decisions when he inevitably comes back to the uh, lineup. You write about Trevor Moore in the latest edition of 32 Thoughts. What are the what are the burning issues for you around the Los Angeles Kings for each? Well, with Trevor Moore, I, I, you know, Rob Blake is on record earlier this year saying he wants to get Trevor Moore extended, and it sounds like that's getting closer. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, you know, for, first of all, first and foremost, um, I, you know, I just think it's, you know, Jeff. When I look at them, I think we all thought that they were going to be like a rebuilding team, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. there's expectations on them. Like, like, to me, I look at all these kids and wonder how many of them are really going to stay. Like, how many of these young players, and, and Velarde's been the one everybody's been talking about this year because he's off to such a good scoring yeah. start. But, like, when, when I look at them, I really wonder how many of them are going to be long-term kings. And you go out and you get Fiala, and you and you you go out and you know you add players because you and it says to me that they weren't really sure of what they had there, right? And so that's kind of what I wonder when I look at them is so many of these young players. There was talk about they're the future. I wonder how many of them now really are the future. How much of that, though, 
because I don't I don't disagree. Like it's interesting the way that Los Angeles has now put a lot of a lot of barriers in front of their prospects. But I just can't mm-hmm. I, I just can't help but coming back to something that we heard a couple of years ago, which was, you know, uh, as the as the Los Angeles Kings took their couple of steps backwards deliberately. Both Doughty and Kopitar saying, "Okay, enough of this. Like we're not we're not here for this at this stage of yeah. our career." Like, should, should we be surprised that, you know what, we're not going with, uh, you know, we're not giving um, Turcotte and uh, Kill Thomas and Quentin Byfield uh, more of a shot here? No, we're bringing in, to your point, we're bringing in Kevin Fiala. We're bringing in Philip Deneau. We're bringing in Victor Arvidsson. Sure, we're going to give, you know, Kaliev and Velarde a chance here and there. But by and large, we're doing this with players that are more veteran because Doughty and Kopitar don't have time for this at this stage of their career. How accurate do you think that is? I think there's some truth to that. I think also don't forget you're coming out of COVID and I think a lot of teams had to make decisions based on, okay, you know, what did we lose? What are we worried about here with our fan bases? Um, you know, like I definitely think I'm not saying this was definitely the case with the Kings because I don't know, but I know in sports there was this conversation, and that was coming out of COVID. Can we afford to rebuild? Like definitely across all of sports, yeah, there were teams that had that conversation. Can we afford to rebuild when some fans have gotten used to not going to sporting events? And I'm not saying that that definitely happened with L.A., but I know that happened everywhere. I think the other thing, too, is, and, I, and sometimes I think this gets forgotten, is that this league is getting younger, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I still think there's teams out there who feel very strongly that spots in the NHL should be earned, not given. You know, that they don't feel that anybody oh, yeah. should... I mean, if you're Connor McDavid... You know, that's something else entirely. But they, they, there are teams out there who definitely feel that too many young players are being given spots before they're ready. And I think you want it to be hard for a young player to make an NHL team. And I, I think that's yeah. what I think that's where the Kings are. I think the Kings look at it like we don't want these young players to feel they can just walk in. Now, do I think some of their young players are frustrated? I would say absolutely yes. But that's what the Kings want, and I don't think they're alone in that thinking. Uh, speaking of Connor McDavid, do you want to hear a great story? Someone someone told me this, sure. his, his first OHL camp, that Connor McDavid, um, at his first okay. OHL camp with the Erie Otters, didn't wear Erie Otter's gloves. He still wore his gloves from the Toronto Marlies of the GTHL and told people, I haven't made the team yet. I can't put on those gloves. <laughs> Connor McDavid. Unbelievable. <laughs> I haven't made the team. I can't wear these things. Uh, let, let's finish up with a quick thought on, uh, on, a, on a tough game last night. Um, for the Colorado Avalanche, and you write about this in your blog, the number of injuries they're going through, it's it's mash unit. It's awful. Uh, no, Again, no one's going to feel sorry for the defending Stanley Cup champions, but, man, you look at the Avalanche, and it's tough. And, you know, Boston goes in there and uh, and lays it on them for nothing. 
Um, we talked about this yesterday uh, a little bit, and you know now you see what the the Boston Bruins do to them. I just wonder about how how patient Colorado is going to be, can afford to be, etc. Um, and the Boston Bruins, like after dropping that game to the Vegas Golden Knights, just picking up right where they left off, hit the road after a, a loss at home, and just go about dismantling the Avalanche. Well, I mean, first of all, the Bruins look phenomenal. That's not exactly a newsflash. We've all seen that. You know, the thing with Colorado, though, Jeff, is that it's a real problem is all these players are coming back. You can't yep. You can't go out and make a huge deal or a lopsided cap deal until, you know, when you, if you have to make room for people to come back. And I do think the Avalanche plan on going out and getting another center. And I, and I do think they plan on taking a big swing. But um, if, but they have to wait until they have the cap flexibility to do it. Like, that's one of the things Washington's talking about. I think they are really interested in going out and getting another forward, a, a score. But they can't do it until they know what Backstrom's situation is. So I think there's a bunch of teams like this. I think Colorado's one of them. We just have to wait till everybody gets healthy, Jeff. They, there's, there's really no yeah. other option. And you know what? I'll, I'll say this: when you're, when you're losing, nobody's going to feel sorry for you, as you said. And I, I wouldn't yep. say that that Bruins team right now is the best tonic for someone who's ailing. They're just going to stomp <laughs> you. Yeah. We're struggling. Here comes Boston. Oh, it's about to get worse. Uh, last one for each today's question of the day. Uh, outside of Connor and Leon, who are on a different planet, uh, who is mm-hmm. must-watch in the NHL right now? Who do you absolutely have mm. to watch whenever this player is on your television or tablet or phone, Freege? Uh, well, that's a, gr- that's a great question, you know who I've uh, really started to enjoy watching um, a lot lately is Jack Hughes, and I, I yep. would I would put him on my list just because of that one shift the other night. I guess I should probably say Tage Thompson yeah. since he scored five goals yep. last night. But <laughs> I, I really like watching Jack Hughes right now. Uh, he's been he's been a guy who's high 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 on my radar. Yeah, real entertaining guy. Yeah, Tage Thompson. The thing about Tage Thompson is like, and many people have noted this, this isn't something I've sort of stumbled across, just how many different ways he scores goals and from how many different areas he scores goals. Like he doesn't just have like the one, he doesn't have like the OV spot, right? And even Ovechkin mixes it up, but he doesn't have that. Like he scores from from all over the zone. He's a fascinating guy to watch and we've got plenty of replies just saying, Tage, and you're all right. You're all correct. He is must view television. Uh, listen, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Uh, enjoy the games tonight, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you later when we record the uh, the next edition of Thirty Two Pod. Thanks, Bell. All right, bud. Take care.